the latest edition of the audible presented by trader joe's i'm bruce feldman joined as always by my colleague Stuart mandel and we will get to your email questions in a little bit but first we're going to chat about some news at least it feels like news in college football and college athletics uh, with Mike Pence, the vice president, speaking to all the conference commissioners in FBS football to get the lay of the land. You know, I keep waiting for the episode where we're not going to have to bring up anything related to coronavirus, but I just I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. It's certainly the the topic that will continue to dominate college football until we have an answer one way or the other is, is there going to be a season? When's it going to start? So on and so forth. And of course, we don't know the answers to that yet, but it was a notable moment, to say the least, on Wednesday when the vice president, who is um, you know, leading the White House's task force on coronavirus, um, invited the—it's it's technically the College Football Playoff Management Committee, but who that is is the 10 commissioners, uh, Notre Dame AD Jack Swarbrook and Bill Hancock, uh, about what it would take to get college football back to normal. Um, it wasn't anything earth-shattering when we talked to some of the commissioners on, that were on the call for, but I do think it's notable that they go on the record, basically, and make it kind of an official stance and let him know that until students, the student general student body is allowed back on campus, there's not going to be college football games. I think some people may have thought, well, they're all taking online classes anyway, so you could bring the football team back. They'd still do online classes. No. Uh, if there's if, if we get to August and even some of the schools say we're not we don't feel comfortable yet doing um, you know opening our campus back up to students then uh, they're not going to make an exception for football and if they can't do August training camp um, I mean regardless of that like if if that happens I think then you the idea of maybe starting the season a month late or two months goes out the window because if they don't open it for fall semester in August, then the next opportunity is going to be when the next semester starts in January. Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a lot there. I think a couple of points you hit on and you guys, you and Andy and your story on The Athletic uh, Thursday address this. And you can, I think when you see Larry Scott's comments about that's the fundamental difference versus professional sports. And I think sometimes, especially, I think what's what's significant is a lot of people are getting their their news on this from, from social media. And sometimes things get lost on there, especially when it's on Twitter in terms of the nuance. And I think you're right about a lot of people thinking, well, you know, most, you know, everybody takes classes online, so they don't need to do this. Or I think it's also lost. Some people just don't get that, college football is 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 not run like college basketball it's definitely not run like anything else where there's there's a central governing person now i think what makes this way more confusing for people is you could have a state whether it is louisiana or washington or or california that could be say and say hey we're not opening everything up and you could have a state florida or texas 
or you know whoever you know wherever uh, Nebraska say, and so they think well we're going in this direction, whereas the rest of the rest of college sports is going to say well we're not going to go all in on that. And I don't know the you know I, I'm curious how those discussions will go if it's a if it's a conference commissioner who's in a place where all the states are checked off on it and there's other parts of the country where it's not how that discussion especially because so much money is tied to this how that stuff will play out yeah it it just illustrates how complicated really anything is in, in college sports because there's so many different moving parts i mean he had on these commissioners on the call but you know at the end of the day none of the people on that call will be the ones making the decision right it'll be university presidents and obviously with guidance from their governors and mayors you know on the same day that this call took place uh, out here in california um, the mayor of los angeles said he doesn't see holding any sporting events until 2021 so i always you always have to put a caveat with that which is nobody knows what's going to happen over the next several months we're all rooting for there to be developments in the fight against coronavirus that would make statements like that no longer necessary but we, we just don't know um, but yeah to your point um this is going to require coordination among a lot of different parties that don't normally coordinate with each other. I do think it's been encouraging that the Power Five commissioners are holding a daily conference call right now, not weekly, daily. Obviously, they're not just talking about football season. There's a lot of things that they're all dealing with right now in terms of the um, the financial hits and some of the things that when we talked to Ross Bjork about on here a couple weeks ago. but. They're in communication, and, and hopefully that would avoid a situation where come August, the SEC is ready to, ready to open, ready to go, and the Pac-12, is that's just not going to happen. You know, you would hope that all parties would agree that it's all or nothing um, in terms of, of when they're going to start the season. I mean, also, uh, Stu, then, I think it's, you know, it's, it's tr- trick, tricky in terms of these timelines, whereas some uh, a state or a part of the country or even a metropolitan area may not be getting may say hey our numbers aren't too bad well who knows what their numbers are going to look like three weeks ago or three weeks from now and i think so what you're saying at is it's really hard to unwind some of this when there's so much we just don't know and i think sometimes fans and a lot of other people get frustrated in the speculation but right now I mean, that's all, you know, you either get informed speculation or just wild speculation, but it's still, it's still speculation as this thing is playing out. We don't know how, how this, how this virus is going to, is going to, uh, go forward either. Nope. Um, so yeah, I think the reason they took that, made that the central message on Wednesday is because you see with the pro sports, like, um, I think there's there's reports that, that golf is going to have their first tournament again in June. And Major League Baseball kind of floated out this idea last week that a lot of people thought was kind of crazy, but it is what it is, where they would move, move the entire season to Phoenix and just hold the players up in hotels and make sure they don't come into contact with anybody else. Um, I am sure the NFL is going to try to do something like that to get their season in. But you just they wanted to make clear, like, we can't do that in college. We're not going to. Uh, put our 18 to 22 year old players at risk and um, separate them from the whole rest of the co- to the rest of the campus. So um, that may seem obvious to most people, but obviously um, you're getting an audience with the vice president. You want to make that clear. So 
I don't know when the next development all this will be. Um, I assume not for a while, but keep an eye on those decisions. I don't know when they're going to start coming, but whenever university presidents start making decisions about what they're going to do for fall semester, that's when you're going to have a much better clue about what, what's going to happen with college football. Tell us about the legend of Isaac Sopawaga. All right, Stu. I don't know if you remember him because he, he only played in college football, at least major college football, for a couple of seasons at University of Hawaii. And this story came out in such a odd way. It was around the Elite 11, and I was at a bar not too far from the beach and uh, had, had a beer or two with Chip Kelly and then Trent Dilfer and some Elite 11 folks uh, stopped by. And... And we were talking about Tua and um, Mackenzie Milton and basically guys from the islands who could really throw the football. And I don't know if it was Trent first or Chip, but they both talked about this defensive lineman who threw it better than pretty much anybody they'd seen. And Chip Kelly had Isaac Sopoaga at the tail end of his career in Philadelphia. Dilfer played with him in his last season in San Francisco. And... It got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm going to like make a note to myself, and at some point, I'm going to do a story on this. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to do a story on this. And uh, so, I don't know, a month or two, we had, I think we had our off-site maybe in, in Indianapolis right around the Combine and talked to one of our editors and was like, we should do like a package on like the greatest urban myths in, in sports. And I had this one. And... I just started asking people, like, it, it first became, like, do any old 49ers who play with them, do they follow me on Twitter or their guys I used to cover? Do I know them? Can they, you know, how am I going to kind of reverse engineer this story? And so I remember one of the first people I reached out to was Brandon Lloyd. You remember him from Illinois, right? Sure. So Brandon I knew from my ESPN Magazine days, and he he was like, no, sorry, I, I actually don't remember seeing him throw. I can't speak on it. And then I had a couple other people who didn't respond. And then I had a few, like, I probably reached out to five or six people who had, who had been around the Niners at that point, players. And the only one I think who had responded initially was, was Brandon, who didn't really say anything. And then I talked to Jerry Azanaro, who now is in the UCLA staff, but was the D-line coach under Chip Kelly at the Eagles. And he was like, I actually never saw him throw because I don't think I could be out on the field the times he was throwing. But I, I believe it. You know, he was such a freaky athlete. And so then I, I reached out to Timmy Chang, who's now a coach at the at uh, Nevada, you know, the record-setting quarterback at Hawaii. And he was like, he didn't really remember it. You know, he was like, I knew he was an amazing athlete. You should see him play, you know, this sport or that sport. And it wasn't until I got June Jones on the phone. And then June Jones was like, oh, yeah, he could throw it almost 100 yards. And then June Jones has these amazing stories and everything else. And then... Uh, Takeo Spikes was one of the people I reached out to. He got back to me. Yeah, he could throw it 75 or 80 yards. And then it just kind of went from there. And then the story, like, I finally got Isaac on the phone over the weekend, but it took a while. I had gotten his number, didn't hear from him. And then I, I had reached out to his old agent, and I, I don't know if he put a bug in his ear or whatever, but at one point, Isaac... Uh, texted me back, hey, my kids use my phone a lot, so I don't think I can talk to you for a little while for, you know, can I call you later? I said, sure. And then that was like late morning Saturday. And then like Saturday after dinner, I get just get a text from Isaac's number. It just says Bruce. 
And I was like, does that mean you're ready to talk? I called him. He didn't answer. And then went another 24 hours. I was like, wait a minute. And then finally I got him on the phone. And the stories he could tell were, were pretty amazing. And I will leave people to read some of them. But the one story that stuck with me beyond just the throwing part was he said at one point he was like, you know, and I can do this, this, and he goes, but I didn't take weightlifting seriously till 2008. And I thought about it. I was like, wait a minute, you were at the combine in 2004. You benched 42 reps at 225 and June said you could do in the fifties. He thought, so what do you mean? You didn't, you weren't taking weightlifting seriously four years before that. And yet I was like, so how strong could you like, what could you do 225 at when you were taking it seriously? And so we got to talking. He said he did 74 reps at 225. I mean, that's to the equivalent of somebody saying they could vertical jump like 59 inches. It's just unheard of. And then that made me have to call like one of the guys he lifted with, who was his teammate at the Niners, Will Tukuafu. And so it's a fun story of all the freaks related stuff I've ever done in the last like 17 or 18 years. This tops it all. So if you haven't read the story, please read about Isaac. Um, it's it's a good diversion at the very least. So would you say that, like you said, you did you just say you've been doing the Freaks List for 17 years? I think it's since 2003 or four. That's amazing. Is he the biggest freak of all time? If he can throw the ball, like everybody says, you know, 85, 90 yards, and he is, the stuff in there, like just read some of the accounts of people saying what he can do. I mean, after I got off the phone with him, he started sending me, and I know you're not a weightlifter guy, but like he sent me a video of something he'd done recently where he benched 405 with a reverse grip. I mean, I showed somebody that they were like, that blew their minds. And that's him doing it now. He hasn't played in the NFL in whatever, seven years. So, um, yes, I would say he is the biggest freak. I mean, Timmy Chang said, you know, I saw him dunk a basketball without jump, without taking a step. He just basically did it from underneath the hoop. And that's at, you know, 330 pounds. And, you know, he told me he flat-footed through a ball 78 yards. I mean, that's like Dilfer's comment to me this week was, he goes, I hear a lot about guys who supposedly could throw the full, you know, football 85, 90 yards. He goes, I usually, I don't believe it. He goes, with him, I believe it. You know, the only person I've ever seen who could throw a football better than him is Patrick Mahomes. Please go to The Athletic and read the story. Um, we have a 90-day free trial right now. And it's been really encouraging that even the fact that there hasn't been any sports in over a month now, people are still coming on and reading and, and our staff is doing a lot of creative things like this story. Um, but, but just across the board, you know, we've, we've ranked the best players to ever wear certain Jersey numbers. We've, uh, we've, we've done sports movies. We've done, um, any number of, I I thought Christian Capel had a, an amazing story yesterday about a coach, at Washington, who got fired after going 59-0-3 uh, more than 100 years ago. Uh, I just credit to our whole staff. Like, they are churning out really creative stories that aren't necessarily tied to, you know, any obviously anything going on in the present day. Back to the podcast in a second, but first a word about our sponsor, The Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo, for their big day. Did you know the black tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? 
Turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tuck shops that shall not be named. Quote, go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. Ouch. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy we were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to remember for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code CFB10. That's theblacktux.com, code CFB10 for 10% off your purchase. All right, Stu, let's get to the mailbag. As always, send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Our first question is from Greenville, South Carolina, and Joe Simmons. Hi, Stuart. Okay, Joe, how are you, you're leaving me off here. Um, I really enjoyed the college football survey you posted on The Athletic and participated as well. I wonder if you and Bruce, thank you, Joe, would give your personal opinion on a few of these questions. What would be your ideal playoff size? How many years, realistically, should a coach get at a new school? And how many national, more national titles will Dabo and Nick Saban win? All good questions, Joe. Okay, Stu, let's go. Yeah, and and that was also an interesting thing we, we did recently. If you want to go check that out, a fan survey, 3,500 people responded, about 20 questions about uh, many, many things related to college football. What would be your ideal playoff size? I think we disagree on that. Um, mine is to stay the same, to stay at four teams. Oh, I think we that's do. all yeah, you need. Okay. To win a national, to, to determine the best national champion, mine is eight. Mm-hmm. I think it would be. I think it would be more compelling um, throughout the season, and I think it would be a little more equitable. Look, it's going to be eight soon enough. Whether whether we, so, I, I I've I've accepted it, and I will embrace it, and I think it'll be a very exciting event. It's just uh, not necessary. the The best team has there been a season yet where you felt like the best team didn't win the playoff? Was been left out. I should say, has there been a season where you, yes, where you thought the best team in the country didn't make the playoff? No, but I don't know that until, I mean, I wouldn't have said Villanova should have won the, I know it's a different sport, but I, Villanova, you know, shouldn't have won, <laughs> wouldn't have won the uh, basketball tournament, but it did. It would be fascinating if there was a way to do a 64 team college football playoff to, to see if that's even possible. Is it possible for a eight seed to win the whole thing? I don't think it would be. I don't think it is. It would have to be like. No, I don't think it is. No. Yeah. It would have to be a team that has all the talent, but just for whatever reason, stunk most of the season, snuck their way in. That was Leach's. Leach has been beating that drum for like 20 years. Or if it was like a team that basically had a quarterback who got hurt or like got suspended for half the season. Yeah, that, that would be it. That would be a good example. Okay, let's let's move on to Joe's next question. How many years realistically should a coach get at a new school? Mine's the standard four years. Uh, you know, I think there are reasons to fire somebody after two years or three years, but I don't think you truly know what you've got until four years. Yeah, I think at least four. Um, I think that the only way to fire somebody under under three years or three years or less to me is if there was some kind of scandalous thing that went on off the field but we did see two coaches get fired last year after two years they had no scandal willie taggart and chad morris how many more titles national titles will saban and Dabo win so just so people know the most popular answers 
for those were Saban, the most popular answer was one, and Dabo, the most popular answer was two, which I assume is Dabo is younger and uh, in an easier conference. Easier conference. My answers would be uh, my answer would be one for Saban. I think he's gonna. I don't know if it'll be this year or soon, but I think he. I don't think he's leaving until he gets another one. My answer for Dabo is also one um, because I think that it's really hard to win multiple national titles. He's already won two of them. Um, I think, you know, he had a great team this past year that just ran into a better team in the national title game. I think he'll get at least one more. I'm not, I, I'm not ready to go out on a limb and say two. I'm going to say one and two. So you're, you, you're joining the masses on that one. I am joining the masses just because I think he's recruiting at that level. I think that it's going to take a little, I don't see anybody from the ACC rising up and, you know, tripping him up. So I don't know. I don't either. And in that, fact, I mean, they're just getting better. And I mean, their recruiting just keeps getting better and better. So it's, to me, it's not a matter of, will he have teams good enough to make the playoff? It's once you get in there, you know, it's not easy to win those games. Can I tack on one other, one other question on to Joe's thing? Mm-hmm. If I gave you the over under on Ryan day, winning a national title at Ohio state at 1.5, what would you take? Mm. I thought you were just going to say, do you think he'll win a national title? Um, I do think he'll win a national title. I'm going to take the under because the last two Ohio State coaches were great, and they each won one, Trestle and Urban. So why why would I necessarily go out and say Ryan Day is going to be the one who wins two? What about you? Uh, I'm going to say over. I'm going to say he wins two. Um, and I think part of the reason why is because he took over a better situation than they did. I think the challenge is going to be when there's a, you know, it's, it's three years in or four years in. Um, does it lose the tension that maybe it had going from like, I definitely think it's, you know, it was smoother going urban to him because all the um, tumult, that's probably not the best word for that, but all, you know, like everything that happened in 2018 season. And then, but I, I, I do think that he'll win more than, more than one. So. Do you think that in order to achieve that, he needs to win the first one next year while he has Justin Fields? Uh, I think it would certainly help him, yes, because I think I think they are going to be that that good. I know they're losing Chase Young, and I know they're losing Okuda and a bunch of other good players, but um, I think they're positioned very well. I mean, I, I think that's, yeah, I mean, he's recruiting phenomenally right now, but obviously, I mean, the most important thing that's happened that, that he has made happen in his tenure so far was landing Justin Fields, and I, I wouldn't necessarily assume that as great a quarterback coach as he is, that he's just going to keep bringing in a, a, another guy on that level, you know, every two to three years. I think he might. I think this guy think is really might. special. Um, Matt in Beach Mountain, North Carolina. Hey, guys. Thanks for keeping the pot up and running during all of this. Really helps things feel a little closer to normal. We appreciate that. Recently, you guys have been discussing the best games of all time, usually national title games. And one game always seems to be left out, Florida State-Auburn. That game seems to be undervalued by most college football writers and analysts. Why do you think that is? It's a good question. I undervalue it, and I, it never comes up, right, when you talk about uh, uh, USC, Texas, Miami, Ohio State, some of these uh, Clemson, Alabama games. You never hear that game mentioned, even though it was decided on a last-second touchdown pass. Yeah, you know, I, not to toot my horn too much, but I did a radio show where they were talking about uh, some of these, and I, when it came to the Ohio State Miami game, I said I thought 
that game, because it came down to the wire, was every bit as good a game as that one. And it might have been better just because I felt like there was plenty of plenty of drama in the first half. Whereas the other one, I think what... Bruce, what, you said this on our podcast last week. Okay. So why, am, so why are you not backing me up then on that? Why did you make me go through this where I'm like cataloging? Said I, did I say this on the solid verbal? I would think I would, Stu would remember if I said it here. Oh, it took me a second to, I thought, I wasn't sure how we got from Florida State Auburn back to Ohio State Miami. And then I realized where you were going. Okay. Yeah. So um, I don't know. The only thing I could think of why it might not be that is you had Auburn, which is which is so like up and down and you have Florida state, which was such a, you know, like there's going to be a, you know, people use this line all the time about there should be a 30 for 30 on there'll be a 30 for 30 on Florida state and Jameis at some point. Um, You know, like just, just what a, what a soap opera that all was. And maybe that's part of it. I don't know. All right. I have a couple of theories. First of all, it was, I mean, the, 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 the fourth quarter of that game, was a lot like the uh, 2016 Alabama Clemson game where they just kept trading touchdowns with the, the kick return touchdown for Florida State. Trey Mason has a long touchdown. And then they, uh, you know, the Jameis to uh, Kelvin Benjamin touchdown at the end. I, I, the only reason I think it probably doesn't get, not the only reason, but some of the reasons. When we, uh, every other game we mentioned, right, USC, Texas, Miami, Ohio, is the underdog one, like pulled off the big upset. Florida State was a huge favorite in that game. And even though they had to come back from 21-3, I believe, like at the end of the day, the thing that was supposed to happen happened. Um, and That's it. I think you just nailed yeah. it. I, I actually think that is the reason. I think then. That's that makes total sense. the overriding reason. I also just think to this back then and even now, there's some discomfort about Jameis. And it's harder to annoy him as the hero than it is Deshaun Watson or Tua uh, or Vince Young. You know, the people who, the guys who, um, who were the faces of those other big wins. Okay. Uh, next question, Stu, is from James Birdsong. Hey, Bruce and Stu, using their total votes received in the final AP ballot of the past season, predict who among these teams will be the biggest riser at the end of the upcoming season, i.e. will have the biggest gain in votes received. Uh, good question from James. Texas A&M had 54, ASU had 12, SMU had 10, and Kentucky and ULL, or Louisiana, had two each. What do you say? First, I have to look up. I've never really thought about point totals. Let me look up what's considered points, you know, significant. Oh, it's in the thousands. Never mind. So Texas A&M only having 52 points. Uh, 54 points. Yeah, they were they were the last team missing. I'm going to go with them. Um, that's Even though I don't necessarily think Jimbo's program is like right on the cusp of competing for a national championship yet, and I think we may have talked about this in the past, their schedule this year, like that's the main, main thing that's, that's kept them down in the win total the last couple of years is playing Clemson, and last year they played Georgia too, just, just brutal schedules. Uh, it lightens up considerably this year to the point where I would think they the ten and two is a very very reasonable goal for them. They play Abilene Christian, North Texas, Colorado, Arkansas, at Mississippi State, Fresno State. That's the first half of their schedule. You know, I mean, those are the first six games. Yeah. <laughs> then it's wow. at Auburn, at South Carolina, Ole Miss at home, Vanderbilt at home. 
before closing with the, the big two at Alabama and versus LSU. So let's even let's even downgrade it to nine and three. And then let's look at last year's AP poll. If you went nine and three, well, then it depends on if you win your bowl game. But like, okay, Iowa went ten and three and got six hundred ninety nine points. So that would be a pretty big upgrade from fifty four. Yeah, you made a good case there. Um, Arizona State, I'm very interested by. I think the SC, the Pac twelve South is certainly shaky, especially with all the players Utah lost. Um, interested to see what. Uh, you know, what happens with SMU? Sunny Dykes had a really good year. I think uh, Louisiana is going to be very good. Um, but I'm going to stay with what you said with Texas A&M. I just think that, you know, between schedule and some of what they have coming back, and look, this is year three for Jimbo. I'm not saying there's no nothing like hot seat or talk or anything, but I just think this is a chance where I think we're going to find out a lot more about him. Because right now, I feel like the biggest thing he's done there was a close loss to Clemson that you were at like two years ago, right? You were at that game. Uh, probably the seven overtime win over LSU followed by that. Yeah. I mean that, that game though, that wasn't like a great LSU team. That wasn't the team that won the national title True. kind of thing. That's why I thought, you know, I mean, their last year was kind of, was a, was pretty much a dud season for them. Like they, they beat the teams they're supposed to beat. They lost all the best teams. Um, you know, not a particularly noteworthy bowl game. So, you know, this year is their chance to get back on the map. Craig in Detroit uh, has a kind of a two-parter here. First, what can you attribute to Will Muschamp's struggles? He seems like a great coach, but under underperformed at both Florida and now South Carolina. Is this a make-or-break year for him, or does South Carolina have to temper expectations and stick with Muschamp? And then my favorite part of the question, second, I am a big Curb fan and have made my way through 10 seasons during the last few months. Am I the only one pulling for Larry that he gets back together with Cheryl? Please note I am on the Cabo wedding episode of season 10 now. Thanks, guys. Stay safe. That was actually one of the best episodes of the season, I thought. Yes, absolutely. Um, Let's answer that part real quick. I feel like while that would be a very happy ending for him to get back together with Cheryl, nothing, there's no happy endings for Larry David, right? Like, that's not how the series is going to end. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, a part of me thinks it's just like it makes him a little more likable that he's with her. So, but, um, and then you lose Ted Danson in the mo- in the show, and that, that that's not good, so. I, I, um, Larry, part of it is we have no idea when it's going to end. He just keeps doing season after season after season. But my guess is once he decides it is the last season, that will be the main plot point. Can he win her back? Okay, the first part, um, he seems like a great coach, but underperformed at both Florida and South Carolina. I don't know if I would go as far as to say with Craig that he seems like a great coach. I'm not seeing that. Um, I don't know. I really, I mean, I thought they would have been a little better. I mean, going into last year, I remember looking at the schedule and being like, no, I didn't think they were going to beat Georgia, but I did not see them taking a leap. And I'm, for whatever reason, like when he was at Florida, having talked to guys who worked for him they said one of the big problems he had right out of the gate was he had really bad staff chemistry the o-line coach and the offensive coordinator did not were not on the same page and things were rocky from there i think by all accounts will muschamp is a is a very decent guy but i think he has struggled with getting his staff right and that's a big thing um, especially when you're at a place where, yeah, South Carolina's had some good teams before, and you can definitely get talent there. But 
you know, look who's in your state. Clemson's there. I think it's, it's, you know, you're not Georgia. You're not Florida in terms of where they are. Um, can you be Tennessee? Yeah. But I think, I don't know. I, I think this is a make or break kind of year for him. You know, if he has a year where he goes six and six, I just think people are going to look at it there and go, look, we got one guy who's winning, who's competing for national titles and another guy who's really struggling to get, go, go to bowls. And that's, um, that's a pretty big drop off. His only saving grace may be that by the time we get through all this, nobody's going to be able to afford to buy out any coaches anymore. Um, but yeah, he's definitely on the hot seat. You know, He's been an SEC head coach for eight seasons now. He had one really good season at Florida where they went 11-1 and one and went to the Sugar Bowl but lost to Louisville. And everything else has been fairly mediocre. Um, I think that you're absolutely right about the staff. And in particular, he just he seems to cycle through offensive coordinators just in this never-ending you know, quest to figure out what his offense should be. And it's, you know, started in a hole i think when he went with charlie weiss at the at the beginning at florida um kurt roper was the guy there for a couple years both there and then starting out south carolina then it was brian mcclendon now it's gonna be mike bobo i i don't like i don't know like what is will muschamp's identity as a head coach like his programs don't have any sort of specific identity he just kind of from year to year he just keeps searching for answers it seems to me yeah uh let's get to gordon in in athens Student Bruce, I've got some quarantine questions for you. What is your favorite meal to cook? What is your all-time favorite TV shows? If you could safely restart one part of your life right now, what would it be? Ooh, that's interesting. I love my daughter, but my answer is daycare, and it's and it's not a tough decision. God bless daycare workers. Well, first of all, and I think you're going to fall in the same boat here, uh, there's only a, like a small handful of meals I can cook. I'm not the, the cook in the family. Um, I, I do like making like, uh, trying to think of something that won't be a, seen as totally lazy. I did a taco bar. If the you other say day. mac and cheese, I, 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 okay. I cooked the meat and did the whole, all the toppings and the fillings and everything. That was, that was a kind of an achievement for me. I have, I have, uh, co-opted a football coach. I know's recipe for meatballs. That is fantastic. There you go. And so now it's a little more involved than I'm, than I'm willing to get on a weekday. But that would be the best thing I have. I'm just, uh, my lesson out of this is I don't understand that when we have a lot of these people on our staff, I don't, I don't understand. I don't have that thing that makes people enjoy cooking. Like we have people on I, our staff. I, I actually love like cooking. Cook. I like cooking. I do. We watch, like I watch the Food Network. I really like cooking shows. I find it relaxing and everything. It's just, you know, in terms of right now with two young kids it's like to block out that much time like um i don't know i don't i'm not able to juggle it but i do like cooking okay good what is your all-time favorite tv show i know your answer do you what is what do you what do you think it is seinfeld seinfeld is up there i would say it fits into like one of three i really like cheers i really like taxi i really like seinfeld um and i really liked oz which is like, which is a weird one to throw in with those other ones. <laughs> yeah, I'm all about the comedy. I mean, there have been plenty of good. You know, I've, I've watched Breaking Bad. I watched. Um, uh, Lost, what was that obviously. show you did a whole like podcast Lost, about? Yeah, Lost. Oh man, you were really into that. Yeah, I was really into that. That was like a Dungeons uh, and Dragons kind of phase for you. I felt like. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. I think Game of Thrones fits more into that category. No, I just meant in terms of, like, you went down the rabbit hole on Lost, like, so far. I did. It was a weird time in my life. I still think it was a great show. I think it was extremely well done. I'm not sure I would say... And when I think favorite, I mean, there's a reason that in this this um, this this turbulent time, I keep going back and watching old Curb episodes to, uh, for comfort. So I think Curb's number one. I think uh, Seinfeld's number two. And a lot of choices for number three. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Veep. I thought that show was phenomenal. Favorite favorite uh, TV character? Favorite TV character? So many choices. Joe Bluth? Arrested Development? I don't. Honestly, I never watched that show. Can I change my answer for the third show to Arrested Development? Sure. Oh, no. All-time favorite TV character, Kenny Powers. Okay. That, I didn't see that coming, but okay. You? Uh, Frank Costanza. He's a good one. <laughs> no denying that. No denying that. And if you could safely restart one part of your life right now, um, preschool. Preschool would be really nice. I, he's absolutely right. Like if, if ever there was a time to appreciate your your teachers and your daycare workers, um, now would be it. Because yeah, it's it's tough work um, doing it seven days a week uh, instead of you know mornings and evenings for five of the seven days. Um, what about you? Uh, I feel like if I answer that, I can answer it the wrong way. I don't say, yeah, when I was single and I was living in New York and, you know, I had no, <laughs> you know, it's like, eh, I don't know if I want to go there. It's probably not a good way to, you know, I didn't have kids then. And you know, at some point my son may listen to this. Not anytime soon, hopefully, but just, you know. how about just being around other people, being around friends and, um, I mean, how much would you give right now to, to be in some college town somewhere sitting around a dinner table with a lot of our sports writing buddies? Like, just the camaraderie, you know? That, that I would say that. I don't think, I know a lot of people, and I've done this too, are doing these Zoom happy hours and stuff. I don't think that replaces the in-person camaraderie of being around your friends. No, I mean, we, we have a, uh, my TV production group, there's like 11 of us, and we have this group text that, is meandering at times and it's really you know all over the place and something usually sophomoric but it's like i really miss those friday dinners i miss you know like i miss that a lot like i miss that as almost as much as the games because when you travel with a group for you know more than a year and every week it's like they i mean it's cliche that's like that's your second family but it kind of becomes that um so it's like, you know, they can say stuff to you and you can say stuff to them where it's like, um, you know, it's, I miss that. I really miss that a lot. That seems like a very good and uh, uh, heartwarming question to end on. As always, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com and we'll see you next time. If you enjoy The Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating if you could, too. It helps us get the word out. Our producer is John Hayes. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on Spotify or Apple Music. Follow me on Twitter at SLMandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? 
you can get 40% off an annual subscription by using this link, theathletic.com slash theaudible. That's 40% off your subscription to The Athletic.